Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is a native of New Orleans and was raised as a military brat overseas and in the Midwest. She splits her time these days between California and Oregon. She she taught Spanish at the high school and college levels, was an executive at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco for over two decades, and now does medical interpreting in Central America and the Dominican Republic in her retirement. She loves rescue dogs, music, and gardening. She's written her debut book, Yes Again, Misadventures of a Wishful Thinker, about her experiences with life, loss, online dating, and love. Her moving story has been praised for being hilarious, honest, and full of hope. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Sally Weisinger. Hi, Julia. Thank you. Sally, our opening question is always, so what took you so long to write your first book? (laughs) Well, you prepared me for that question, and I often asked myself when I was going to write it. I always knew I would write a book, but when I was working so hard, I didn't have time. And then in my late 50s, I lost my husband and wasn't in a psychological, emotional space to do that. And then I started working on it kind of slowly. Uh, I'm not even sure I knew it was going to be a book. I knew I was going to do something with it. And it just took its own time coming out uh, for me, coming out of my head and getting onto a keyboard. And then my life changed significantly and I had a different ending. So I, it may have taken a while but um, I'm I'm very happy with it. I'm very happy with how it turned out. I wish I had written it earlier, but it would have been a different book. Well, that's why I call it writing in life's sweetest third, because sometimes it takes some of us a lot longer to get our stories together and to have the wisdom and and the life experiences that we needed to to write the story. Once you had to write that book. What was your procedure then? Well, um, I had always written emails and kind of journaled to myself, not, not knowing exactly what I was going to do with it. And I went back to some of my emails to, to written journals, and I started putting chapters together. And I actually had a girlfriend who was a writing coach and Her name is Jane, and I mentioned her in the acknowledgments, and I said, I have no idea 
how this is going to turn out. I mean, what procedure do I follow? Do I sketch it out? Do I know what the ending is going to be? And she said, we'll figure it out. And that was very freeing to have all these chapters that were kind of standalone and that had to be interwoven. I wish I had had a procedure. I've read a lot about memoir writing and some people do and some people don't. And um, I just kind of did it by the you know seat of my pants. Um, if I were to do it again, I think I might do it a little differently and have more of a sense of where it was going. But the ending I had planned on just totally went out the window for reasons that would be a spoiler um, for our purposes. So no, I, you know, I probably worked every day, usually at night. Everyone says, do it in the morning, get up early, just do it. But I tended to start working after dinner and sometimes work till 12 and one. Well, I think you're title is very intriguing. Yes, again, Misadventures of a Wishful Thinker. Tell us more. Oh, thank you. Um, so I had, I, you know, the Misadventures has the parentheses around the miss because I had some very good adventures and then some disastrous adventures. Um, I've met my husband, my first husband, well, I was actually divorced, but the man that I considered my first husband, when the uh, old-fashioned newspaper personals were in vogue, and I had misadventures there, uh, but I had a lot of good adventures, and then I met the man that I married, and then when I was in my late 50s, he died, and I went into the misadventures of the online personals as, you know, as a senior citizen, and um, boy, I met people. I met people who tried to get money out of me. I met somebody I really liked, and I went on Google and found out that he had twice been accused of child abuse, sexual child abuse. And when I confronted, I mean, this is funny in a way, it's awful. But I said, I read about this, and is this you? And he said, yes, is that, um, is that a deal breaker? Huh. And I'm like, is that a deal breaker? I think so. Uh, and I met other people <laughs> that it turned out to be funny, but at the time it wasn't funny. And when I would tell my girlfriends these misadventures, they would say, Sally, there's a book. Um, so that's the title, but I never stopped wishing and I never stopped thinking and I kept thinking, you have to turn this into something good. This can't take you down. Um, and in the meantime, as you mentioned, I was doing medical interpreting in Central South America and the Dominican Republic. And I just loved that. And that was a lifesaver for me to be able to do things that mattered when my personal life wasn't the greatest. Well, I'm fascinated by that because I went for 10 summers uh, to Honduras with a medical team, and that was always so exciting, but I couldn't speak the language like you can. So it was a lot of hand motions and gestures. And <laughs> Were, were you a doctor or a nurse or a yeah, medical person? I worked in the kitchen. I, I provided all the meals for the team. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Well, you know what I'm talking about. You know how important it is. You know how appreciative the people are, how much they need the medical care. And uh, I had always taught academic Spanish. And after my husband died, I taught myself medical Spanish. And I just said, I'm not ready to retire and just garden. I have to do something with my Spanish. So it was great. Well, tell us about the publishing journey. I want to hear any challenges or anything that worked or didn't work for you along the way. Um, I published with an indie press called She Writes Press, which won the award for independent book publisher. I think it was 2019. And then COVID hit and everything went crazy. So I, you were not able to meet with other authors they no longer had their get-togethers. Some of their staff was constrained by having kids. They had to Zoom for their school. It, it was difficult. Um, and that, I think, was because we couldn't get together with anyone. And because I'm not particularly technologically savvy. I mean, I can do email and I can do Word, but I can't do Photoshop or spreadsheets or stuff. And our technologies didn't always jibe. They were not harmonious. That was a problem. Um, I had no concept that I would be responsible for getting blurbs for my book. I found that excruciating to go to people and say, will you read this and will you blurb me? And that was maybe one of the hardest parts. Maybe it was the hardest part. It was harder than writing the book. Um, I, I, I was dealing with copyright authorizations and in some cases had to rewrite parts of my book because during COVID, the copyright people at the publishing houses weren't in their offices and couldn't get to their files. And that was really difficult. In one case, I had, two weeks before we went to publishing, I had to change a whole chapter. Um, then there was the book came out. Yay, the book came out. And then I had a wonderful publicist whose name I will mention. May I mention names? Sure. Uh, Caitlin Hamilton in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, but I didn't know. I thought a publicist publicized your book. I mean, which they do. But I didn't know I'd have to write like 15 essays and articles and blog entries and postings. And I was running on fumes by that time. And I kept continued working till midnight. And in the meantime, I was starting a new life in Portland and trying to be excited about my book. And now we're in the marketing phase and I'm learning all about Amazon ads and I'm learning about their algorithm. Do you know about all this, Julia? Uh, oh, oh, yes. Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> and, and it's, I mean, and I have a person helping me. So what I will give to as as information or counsel uh, to people wanting to write their first book is have a really good publicist who's gentle and kind and effective and learn about Amazon ads and have a techie if you're not real proficient and understand about copyrights. It, it, there was a lot of learning. There was so much more business than I thought. I thought I'm a good writer. I've always been a good writer. People have always asked me to write. I was a corporate writer. But oh my God, the publishing world is a whole different business. 
It really is. I've written all my life in every career, but those were press releases or speeches for college presidents. And that's a whole different ball game than, you know, a novel. So I had to really learn the craft of, of writing fiction as well. Did you jump right into memoir? You never considered fiction? You know, I'm, I'm considering it now, although for some reason, as I've gotten older, what really happened to someone, I looked at the books because I keep lists of the books I've read, without realizing it, I kept seeing a transition from when I was big on fiction to when I became big on memoir. And I, re- I read books about writing memoirs, and I didn't, I didn't consciously know I was doing that. So the answer is no, I really didn't seriously consider novels, although I know the big thing these days is autofiction, to write, to, to embed yourself in fiction where the experiences were really yours without calling it you. Um, but I do love memoirs, and I love, I love Anne Lamott, who's both written memoirs and writes about writing memoirs. And uh, I've given a few presentation on memoir writing for people that might want to do it. And uh, I, I find memoirs just, they grab me in a way because I know they really happen to people. Well, and I know Brooke Warner, who is the president of She Writes, um, is very well known for teaching memoir writing as well. Right. And my sister is taking, my sister lives in Washington, D.C., and she's taking a course from Brooke. In fact, my sister is who pointed me toward Brooke, and she writes. And at the time, I thought I would physically meet Brooke. Brooke lives in Berkeley. I live in Berkeley. We've never met because now I live in Portland, and and we were kept apart by COVID. Uh, I think the world of Brooke. Yeah, she has really done a great job with that press, and everyone who I interview um, just sings her praises, so she must be doing a great job. Tell us more about what your book's about, and then read a few sections for us so that we can hear your voice and tone in the book. Okay, well, what I'll do is I'll introduce the 34-year-old Sally, who met her, um, who was supposed to be the love of my life, uh, and was, but I lost him. Um, I had moved from New Orleans. I was working very, very hard. I was the mother of a three-year-old and commuting to San Francisco and not meeting men. And so a friend of mine suggested that I do the personals in something called the Bay Guardian. And that was kind of a very liberal, remember I'm from Louisiana and I was the daughter of a military officer. And I thought that putting yourself in the personal ads in a newspaper was like putting a sandwich board on yourself and saying, I'm pathetic. So anyway, I did. And I read a couple of uh, issues and I thought that's not going to be my ad. I'm not going to say that I'm sensuous, sexual, highly imaginative, erotically oriented, skilled in amorous techniques and curvaceous in body. I went, (laughs) that's how the the women, you know, describe themselves. And I went in a different direction, keeping the text as short as I could to minimize the cost. 
So in bold caps, I said, share the good things, attractive, sensitive, professional, white female, 34, seeks male kindred soul, someone bright, serious, fun, strong, and gentle. And then I gave the blind P.O. box. And the way it worked back then is people would write to that box and then the newspaper would send me their contact information, but they didn't know where I lived or my last name or anything. I ran, <laughs> I ran the ad twice at a cost of around $40 total, maybe 45. Over the next few weeks, I received and sorted 60 responses into three piles, 12 yeses, 40 no's, and eight maybes. The no's were the easiest to categorize. I instantly rejected letters from numerous older men who specifically sought younger women, a man and his wife looking for a threesome, a 20-year-old college student who was hoping for a, quote, experienced older woman for hot tubbing and smoking weed while watching the sunset over the Golden Gate, unquote. And my all-time favorite is two prisoners at San Quentin who wanted me to visit them on Sundays. I mean, that was not good. <laughs> that was terrible, but those are the worst. I met 12 men who were in my yes pile. They were lovely. I, I mean, really impressive and nice. And I liked one of them and he didn't like me and some others liked me and I didn't like them. I mean, like them as a romantic thing and nobody was a problem. And I was going to do it again, but there was this one man who had sent me a picture of himself with his dog, and I adore dogs. And he said, if you don't want to meet me, would you send me this picture back? Because it's the only picture I have of my dog. I had to leave my dog with my daughters. He was divorced. And the stamp rate went up, and I kept trying to get to the post office. And finally, I said, oh, you know, I'll meet this man. I met him and I'm going to read a tiny bit about, um, we met at an ice cream store and cause I wouldn't meet at a bar and I wouldn't meet at night. And um, we talked, he was a lawyer. He was living in a studio apartment, keeping his daughters in their home in Mill Valley in Marin. So here I'm gonna read. By this point in our conversation, I couldn't swallow any more of my root beer float. I was swooning. This maybe candidate wasn't the way he had seemed in his letter. Glib? Not at all. He was revealing his feelings and was eager to learn about me. The longer we talked, the more there was to talk about. We leaned increasingly closer to one another, unaware of the customers around us, entering, ordering, sipping, eating, paying, leaving. The anticipated hour to hand over a snapshot turned into an animated hour and a half of exchanging intimate confidences. Strangely enough, it didn't seem unusual to have spoken so openly with someone I wouldn't have recognized without his photo in my hand. So anyway, we went from the ice cream store to marriage and we were together for 24 years and it was lovely. And when I was 57, he died. And so um, I spent, you know, a year or two before I did the personals again, but by then it was online personals. <laughs> and that was a whole new experience, particularly by then I was in my early 60s. Um, 
it was an eye-opener. I knew about the online personals, but at any rate, I did that for about 10 years. And I met maybe one or two people a month. So over 10 years, that's quite something. And again, I met people that were fine. I didn't meet anybody scary. Again, I met at coffee shops in the daytime. Um, and there were a couple of men I really liked that didn't like me. So I told you already that there were people that wanted money from me. There, were pe- there was a child molester. There was a hoarder. There was a guy who had absconded with money from his firm and been disbarred. And I just said, this isn't working. And in the meantime, I'm going to El Salvador and Nicaragua and Venezuela and doing things and have girlfriends and volunteer work. And I'm on a couple of boards, but I missed a companion. So I'm going to read one more thing. This 60s feminist, I went to Berkeley in the 60s, cringes to admit it, but she will nonetheless. I still carried in my heart the dream of having butterflies fluttering in my body one more time. I wanted someone with me in the lonely places, the places I had walked through alone until Matt showed up. That was my husband. And I wanted equally much to fill someone else's lonely places. Two people occupying each other's lonely places through affection, humor, conversation, passion, and whatever else gets them through hard times end up not being lonely after all. Showering, pruning the garden, cleaning out the refrigerator. But, and this time it was a major but, after years of hitting dead end after dead end, I'd had it. I couldn't face another caffeinated hour at a coffee shop like the ones I'd been gritting my teeth to get through. I terminated my two online memberships. I was done with online dating sites populated by liars, cheats, child molesters, scam artists, lesser toads and frogs, and the innocuous guys who offered nothing wrong but nothing right. I threw in the online dating towel. Maybe Matt was the last man I would love. Maybe it all ended when Matt died. So. Sally, that is the most poignant thing. And, and you are the bravest woman that I've ever heard. Some of those experiences are just horrifying. I mean, who would put themselves out there on a dating app if they have such baggage, like, you know, the prisoners and everything. Um, that is just amazing to me. Well, it wasn't all bad, Julia. I mean, there were nice people. And I had a whole nother part of my life um, that was working fine with girlfriends and volunteer work and a book group I'd been in for 30 years. I mean, and dogs. Oh, my gosh. My rescue dogs are fabulous. Um so yes, those, there were definitely black holes in my life. Um, but then I decided to start my own site and start my own search engine. And um, I called it Pastrami uh, because I used an acronym. The P standard, uh, stood for physically active, um, adventurous. The S was soulful. The T was travel friendly, another A was animal friendly. And then I met more people and it wasn't through the online dating. And that was the wishful thinking part of what I was gonna do because 
I just wasn't willing to say this is it. Um, and I look back and I have to admit there were times I was really down. Well, I, I think that is extraordinary. And I can't wait to, to read your book because that is, I mean, it's the highest highs and the lowest lows. You've taken us on a roller coaster for women our age to, to relook at dating. It, it's, it's been amazing just listening to you today. Our writers over 50 are, are quite unique. Um, and I just wondered if you might have any advice for, for writers 50 and above. Um, you know, I wish somebody had talked to me and given me this advice. Um, some of it is probably obvious. I did have a good friend, the, both my writing coach and then my ultimate editor, who was a good friend. It's really, I find, very lonely to write uh, unless you're really introverted and, and, and like being alone. So if you like socializing and have friends, I would share it with them because it can be too, too you know, constrained, too quiet. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I think if I had it to do over again, I would try to write in the morning and then have the rest of the day to myself instead of doing it the way I did. Um, I'm trying to think I'd love to be brilliant and say, oh, this is the magic bullet. But to me, having a pattern, doing it in the morning and having friends. Oh, one of the most wonderful things I did was when I was not done, I had a good friend down in Los Angeles who I sent. She was the only person I sent it to and said, would you read all of this? And before I finish it, give me your feedback. I said, I don't like the way I come across. I think I sound really acerbic and kind of crotchety. I think I found like someone, I sound like my voice to someone who's found fault with everybody. And she wrote back and she said, Sally, this doesn't sound like you. You have to come up with a um, less critical voice. And I changed some of my lines. I mean, I said the same thing, but I said it somewhat differently. So having somebody halfway through, through be a beta reader, I think is a really good thing. I think that's really important. And I think having a writing community is very important because writers are so generous and, and will share what worked and what didn't work just as you have today. Sally, thank you so much for being with us today. I look forward to reading your book and to hearing more about your experiences. And I just thank you so much for being with us on Authors Over 50. Well, Julia, I'm going to read your book, too. I love our mutual connection in New Orleans. You remind me of home because you do have a Southern accent, which I don't. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.